Hello and welcome to the Rolling with Old Cars podcast brought to you by the editors at Old Cars Magazine celebrating 50 years in the hobby this year. You can check us out in print or visit us online at www.oldcarsweekly.com or through our uh, Facebook and Twitter channels. I'm Brian Ernest, the editorial director of Old Cars, and today I'm joined by the guy who really runs the magazine, our longtime editor, Angelo Van Bogart. And today we thought we'd talk for a couple minutes kind of on a couple what's hot topics in the market. Some of the cars uh, that are, have been hot or have been kind of raising some eyebrows with uh, some of the transactions. And uh, just coincidentally, a few of those cars who are kind of on the hot list are right in your wheelhouse. And you've been keeping a, an eye on a couple of segments in the auction market. And there were some pretty eye-opening uh, sales, I, I know you thought, and especially for some fans of big fin Chevrolets. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's, you know, part of it is just because I also, of course, have good taste in cars, but um, apparently my taste is rubbing off on other people. But I've long loved 59 Chevys. When I was a kid in the early 80s, there was a rusty blue Biscayne four-door sedan that was parked down an alley. And uh, it was right near my aunt and uncle's house. And every time I'd go over to their house, I'd hop on one of their old bikes and we'd uh, my cousin and I would ride over and check out that 59 Chevy and I'd kind of just stare at the cat's eye taillights and the bat wing fins and um, pretty wild cars. So I've loved them a long time. I've paid attention a long time. And with our coverage in old cars that, um, you know, auction coverage, we're seeing stuff and things just get flagged, whether you like the cars or not. But 59 Chevys are just insane. Um, you know, late last year, October, November-ish, we were looking at, 59 Chevy convertibles, rusty junkyard, picked over, damaged, just junk 59 Chevys that 10 years ago would be parts cars if there was anything left of them. And they're getting drug out and slapped in auctions and they're getting crazy money, $26,000 for a number six 59 Chevy Impala convertible. And, you know, that's just crazy. It The car in number one shape is probably $125,000. So it doesn't give you a lot of money to work with when you've got so little to start with. You you know, think, Ange, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Ange. You think the guys who would buy a car like that at this point, are they thinking of actually taking that, like you said, kind of a ratty shell and actually try to turn that into the car? Are they, you think those are donor cars at this point? I mean, are guys really going to go all the way with basically a number six basket case? I'm seeing guys do exactly that. They're pulling these cars out and, you know, piecing back something together. So basically they're, they've got a cowl, a convertible cowl to work with and a few maybe miscellaneous convertible pieces. But yeah, they're, they're going to, um, you know, parts cars, four doors, and maybe even other two doors. And they're piecing these cars back together, you know, just right to the cowl. So they're not parting these cars out. They're saving these number six 59 Chevy convertibles saved from junkyards basically or out in the woods or in the bottom of a gravel pit. You know, these things ter are terrible. Some of them look like they've rolled before they wound up in the junkyard 30 years ago where they were left to rust, probably even longer. So it's just crazy. Um, you know, 59 Chevy and Paulitude are hard tops. They're insane. Um, at that same auction where the uh, convertible sold for 26 grand, we were looking at, you know, five ten thousand dollars for two door hardtops in the same shape. You know, they're just 
rusty, pieced out, no engines, missing trim, not a straight panel, and they're selling for crazy money too. So um, I think there's just a lot of love for 59 Chevys right now. One example that an old cars reader has, he um, he just bought at Meekum a 59 Chevy Biscayne two-door sedan, six-cylinder, you know, basically the least expensive 59 Chevy when it was new. And four years ago, that car sold for 9500 at Meekum. And then Meekum resold the same car for twice that, 195 this year. So I think just in general, 59 Chevys are, are crazy. Some of that's carrying over to the 60 Chevys that have bat wing fins. But, you know, the 59 is, is the car. And it's one of those cars that transcends all areas of the hobby, the restorers, um, the low riders, um, you know, the guys who put the, the big wheels, you know, the 22-inch wheels they just have appeal across all parts of the hobby. So, um, you know, I think it's just, they're getting their due and, and people are running out of project cars when it comes to 59 Chevys. So, and, and I love them too. Um, just to kind of throw this in there in the mix doesn't have to do with value so much, but one of the things I'm fascinated with about 59 Chevys are those with factory fuel injection, the full size Biscayne's Bel Air's, Impalas that were built with Rochester fuel injection units back in 59. And, you know, there were only a few dozen um, to maybe 150 built. And from all my years of being a 59 Chevy geek, I've never seen a period photo of a fuel injected 59 Chevy um, other than the one that appeared in the March 1959 motor trend ad um, that Chevy put out promoting it in the, in the new four speed in the full size cars. But, um, we, one of our readers had a friend who bought a brand new 59 Chevy Biscayne Tudor sedan that was fuel injected. And, um, from contacting his friend that he still knows and still at least, um, talks to on the phone, we found pictures of that car with the fuel injection scripts and um, a picture of the engine bay with the fuel injection. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that with readers, probably in our June 15th issue. But um, yeah, it's the only photo I know of that shows a true legit 59 Chevy with fuel injection back in 1959, 1960. So that's kind of cool, but sorry to take you on a tangent. I'm just so excited about that about that photo and, and sharing those in an upcoming issue. But yeah, 59 Chevys, lots of geeks like me out there and they're paying the piper. Now you're geeks, you're a geek over other general motors cars too, seventies cars. Uh, you know, you've got your, your favorite Chevrolets that you, you've written about a lot in old cars and everybody gets a big charge out of, uh, your fascination with, you know, tell us about, uh, the Impala market and some of the, the siblings of the Impalas, again, maybe not collectible as collectible a number of years ago, but seventies cars are a lot hotter now than they were. And some, again, some of the cars that are in your wheelhouse and are getting some love. Yeah. You know, I've, I've loved, <laughs> and I'm still ashamed to say this because people still look at me like, like I have a knife sticking out of the side of my head, but I love 80s Caprice two-doors. I've had like 10 of them over <laughs> since I was about 18 or 19. I finally bought my first one. And, you know, I'm just a nerd about these cars. And I remember when I was buying them for decent ones for $2,500, $3,500. My first one was a 
you know, number four driver had dings and some rust, a lot of dings actually, and some rust, but I paid $600 for it. You know, now my first nice one, truly nice one was um, $3,500, I think. And they were that price for a long time. Um, I bought a couple other nice ones for $3,500. But uh, yeah, they've just, they've gotten crazy. Those cars I was spending $3,500 on are now $13,500 cars. And this is all in the past few years. And I'll, I'll tell you this. In 2019, I bought my 84 Caprice Coupe from Meekum. There were three of them that had less than 20,000 miles. I bought one of the three. They all sold for seven or $8,000, which is about what I thought they'd do because there were three of them at one sale. Figured that was a lot of those cars at once and you know the prices would be reasonable. But Brian, in those two years... Of since I bought that car for, um, I think it was eight thousand dollars before all the commission and fees and stuff. That car I couldn't replace right now for twice that, and I honestly don't think I would sell it for like twenty five thousand dollars because I couldn't find another one. These things have just gone insane. Those eighties Caprices, um, two doors especially, but people like the the loaded up. Um, four doors, the Bromes, the LSs. So, yeah, I and I, I can't explain it. <laughs> I don't, and I don't like it either because I enjoyed buying these cars, you know, that cheap because they're they're just good cars for for commuting, you know, for driving. They ride nice. They're dependable. Um, the parts are cheap, generally speaking, to you know keep them on the road or even keeping them looking nice. I could go down to the Chevy dealer and buy NOS trim parts. And I did that. I stocked up quite a bit in the last 20 years of, of NOS stuff just to you know keep them looking nice. So I think the one I have is probably my last one because I can't ever sell it. I'll never be able to afford to replace it. So um, I'm glad I finally got the one I wanted. But yeah, and more recently at Mecham, this last January, other 80s stuff just went insane. There was a, kind of in the same vein but in, I think it was an 84, yeah, 84 Olds 98 Regency Coupe, which um, is on a slightly um, bigger slightly bigger car, but it's boxy like an 80s Caprice two-door um, or, and four-door, but they're really in the same vein. And that car sold with 4,500 miles, sold for 27 grand at Meekum Kissimmee. Um, and that was kind of the latest of that 70s, 80s cars that have, that whole era was really ignored for so long by, by everybody. Um, and it was, it's really going from the eighties and back to the seventies. There was a 76 olds, 98 coupe, which is a much bigger car. It's actually the last of the big cars before they were downsized from 77 up, um, as rear, rear drive cars. That one sold with 4,900 miles for 40 grand for a 76 olds, 98 Regency coupe. Now, I remember not that long ago that those were $500, $1,000 cars. They were so cheap and they were so rusty up here in the upper Midwest that my dream was to get one of those as a beater and just slide around on the ice on it. You know, just take it out as a winter beater, whip donuts and parking lots. You know, That's a Minnesota kid. That's see now that this is a Minnesota kid talking here. <laughs> see the Florida, Texas kids, they didn't dream that stuff up. That we Minnesota, Wisconsin kids, and North Dakota kids, they dreamed of going out and spinning donuts on frozen rivers. 
Well, you know, I, growing up in the not getting my license till the 90s and having 70s and 80s cars to deal with that were all smogged down, you had to wait for snow and ice to get the back end to slide around, you know, and driving a used car because nothing had enough power anymore to do that on dry pavement. So we had to wait for snow and ice. And um, but yeah, I just I just have always loved those. And I've wanted to find one of those tanks and cheap and then just bomb around in the snow with it and hit snow banks and and just have a good old time with it. But you know, now that they're 40 grand for a nice one, you know, that's, I'm already seeing people think that their number fours are worth $10,000. And I don't think they're truly selling for that. But, you know, it just goes to show that um, 70s cars were ignored for so long. And now here they're, they're just totally blossoming. Um, same sale, 75 Buick LeSabre custom convertible, last of the big Buick rear wheel drive convertibles. Um, sells for uh let me see it, it was 55 55,000 i had to double check that because it's so crazy that is $55,000 for a baby blue 75 buick lesabre convertible who would have thought you know and it's not like it had 5 miles it wasn't one of those that was tucked away totally new it had some miles on it, it had 37,000 miles it's hard to believe you could find any american made car anything corvette mustang anything basically that that's going to sell for that i mean it's that's kind of uncharted territory for a car of that era any car that's amazing yeah and you know when it comes to some of these cars and and if you got to have one like me you really have to look for a low mileage one just because so many parts of those cars are not being reproduced yet and they kind of blanket went bad you know fillers the fillers that go between the body and the bumpers on those cars they're reproduced for some, but but not all. So finding one that doesn't have cracked fillers, um, you know, is true low mileage is, is a premium, you know, just right. because where do you get that stuff? Um, the interior plastic on them is is not good. You know, it's it's junk on a lot of them. So if you can, a low mileage one, of course, usually has nice interior plastic, assuming it was well stored and cared for. So, you know, people are going to, probably be paying a premium for a while on those cars with those um, often bad pieces in good shape. You know, they're just going to get a premium because there's no looking for those. Sometimes you just can't replace them. You know, you, you don't want to have a 40,000 mile, really nice car, but it's missing its fillers and the plastic is all faded and, and chalky and, you know, scratched up. So um, I think it's going to be around a while, but hopefully that means that some of these harder to find, reproduce body and trim parts uh you know become available because a lot of those car 70s cars rusted too so i think that's part of the reason why they're getting the premium now um, and part of it is just that the people who remember those cars are finally getting to that point where they've got a little more disposable income so um you know the, if they remember those cars they're going to go after them it's just surprising because it's sudden you know we didn't really see this building up it just seems like a switch got flipped in the last year or two. And usually trends like this, the, the line, the growth line is more at an angled slide and not, a, you know, a huge curve. So when that happens, you know, we take notice, we got to make changes in the price guide. Um, you know, we just, it catches us off guard and we have to adjust and the hobby has to adjust. Dealers have to adjust. So yeah, so if you're sitting on a 70s car now, you if it's a nice low mileage original and in great shape, um, you might be sitting on a gold mine right now. 
speaking of sitting on a gold mine, and this is not a 70s or 80s car, but every once in a while, Angie Carr comes up that uh, everybody notices a bullet Mustang or, you know, a, a particular Shelby or a movie car. Uh, the Hero Hot Merc apparently yeah. is coming up for sale. Real quick, again, we could have a whole podcast about this car. Um, yeah. What do we know about uh, the availability of that car? And what on earth is somebody going to be willing to pay for that thing? Uh, yeah, another one that's close to my heart. I, I love that car. Um, it has become available on Instagram, the oddest of all places, I think, to list a car. But when you've got gold, you know, people will buy gold wherever. So um, venue isn't a matter so much as um, the car that's available. You know, Hero Hot Merc, the Merc that started the chopped, lowering custom car craze. Not the first, but one of the first, and certainly the one that got the most press and, um, you know, even appeared in movies. So hugely, hugely, hugely influential car. There's, you know, this is the car that really started the whole custom Kemp's, period. You know, Barris, it's got, it ticks all the boxes. It's been replicated. Um, it's influenced thousands of custom car builds. It is the custom Merc. I would even place it above the James Dean Merc. I'm going to go that far and say that the Hero Hunter Merc is more important than the James Dean Merc. Um, so the family that um, inherited the car when Jim McNeil passed away, Jim bought the car, I want to say, um, in the mid, um, mid to late 50s, 59 maybe. But regardless, he's had the car since then. It's been in his possession. He drove it for a while, parked it, I think, in the 60s and then sat in his garage, and secretly in the 90s, he got together some of the old gang that actually was involved in building it with the Barris brothers, including George, got the car restored, makes its debut in the 90s, everybody is, you know, falling over the heads, you know, oh, the hero how to Merc lives, um, it wasn't gone, um, here it is beautiful, it it tours, it gets displayed at the Peterson Museum, which is appropriate because the Peterson um, publishing empire is actually the one that published photos of this car back in the fifties on a regular basis. Um, you know, just such a connection there. Um, Jim McNeil, Jim McNeil, excuse me, unfortunately passes away in 2018. Um, he's had the car for what is that 60 years or so at that point. Um, and now his kids a couple years later are, are looking to sell the car and they're listing it on Instagram. So what's it going to sell for? Seven figures. I have no doubt in my mind it's a seven-figure car. As far as I know, it would be the only custom car um, from the 50s that would get um, a seven-figure price tag. But it's it's worth it. Um, it's the Hero Hot Merc. You know, there's only one, and this is it. So what are we going to, you know, what's going to happen to it? We don't know. But we've got men in the field who are um, talking to some interested buyers um, they're friends of his. So if the car, if and when the Hero Hata Merc trades hands um, in this historic sale, this historic transaction, um, you know, we'll be in the know and we'll be reporting on it. So kind of looking forward to see what happens to it. Does it wind up in a museum? Does it wind up in a private collection? Um, I don't think a museum at this day and age with the coming out of the pandemic has got the money to buy a car like this on its own. You know, it's going to take some um, you know, benefactors or somebody to buy it and directly donate it to a museum. So who knows, but 
Yeah, it's going to be a historic sale just because the last time the car sold um, was 1959. So when you have gold, you just don't let go, do you? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, the when the dust settles, we'll have to follow up. That'd be a subject for a future podcast for us. So maybe you could touch on that. Some of the other cars, the big sales have been happening so far in 2021. Um, well, Ange, we could wrap all day, but I know you got to get back to some editing duties because I know you do have a, a, a day job. So that's going to do it for uh, this episode of our podcast. Again, a reminder to check us out at oldcarsweekly.com and on our Facebook page and our other social media outlets. Make sure to sign up for our free uh, weekly e-newsletter. So that'll do it for this week. I'm Brian Ernest for Angelo Van Bogart. Uh, thanks for joining us on Rolling with Old Cars. <laughs>